From the millions of gods of Hinduism to the environmentalist worship of Mother Earth, apart from the worship of the true God revealed in Scripture, there is no religion that is not energized by Satan and that is not part of the wide gate that leads to destruction. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in South Lake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part two of Two Gates, One Decision. Think about the various religions, self-help books, and so-called spiritual experts. Most claim that each person is on their own individual path to God and that all paths lead to the same end. Like mountain climbers, all beginning on different paths with all eventually reaching the summit. Well, as we're learning in Matthew chapter 7, there are in reality only two paths in life, one that leads to death and another that leads to life. Jesus describes one as wide, while the other is narrow and hard to find. The question is, how are we meant to find this narrow path? Let's join Tom Pennington for answers right now on The Word Unleashed. Every human being by birth, by default, has already walked through the wide gate and is already on the broad way. All you have to do to enter the wide gate is just don't do anything. Do nothing. And so people who are apathetic and indifferent, whether they like it or not, whether they feel like it or not, according to Jesus himself, if he were here, he would say, you've already walked through the wide gate. You're already on the broad way that leads to destruction. Just do nothing, and that path will lead you to destruction. There's a second entrance to the wrong path that leads to destruction, and that's human philosophies and ideologies. The world is filled with them. There's an interesting passage in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, where Paul says, we fight, we're in a war of ideas. And he says, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. That is, they're not human. They're powerful. He's talking about the scripture, the ideas of scripture, the truth of scripture. That's the weapon with which we fight. And he says, we're fighting against fortresses. What's he talking about? What does he mean we're fighting against fortresses? Well, he explains it in the next verse in 2 Corinthians 10, 4. He says, we are fighting against speculations and every lofty thought elevated against the knowledge of God. He's talking about human ideas. We live in a world that is filled with human ideas that are exalted against the knowledge of God. Human speculations about what is true and what is right and how we should live. Philosophies like evolutionary naturalism, postmodernism, anti-supernaturalism, feminism, radical environmentalism, and on and on it goes. Our world is filled with these anti-biblical philosophies and ideologies. And understand this, those philosophies are merely new entry points into the wide gate. Another part of the wide gate is not only apathy and indifference and human philosophy, but also false religion. False religion will get you through the wide gate. You see, much of the width of the wide gate consists of damning false religion. 
you understand that the Scripture very clearly teaches there is one true God, and there is one way to know that true God, and that is through His Son. That's it. Everything else is a rebellion against that revelation of God. All other religion is false. It is anti-God. The Old Testament is permeated by such worship. But here's what's interesting. Those gods don't really exist. The idols that people worship, all religions other than the worship of the true God who's revealed himself in the scripture and in his son, it's false. It doesn't exist. So what does exist? This is what's very interesting. Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 16 and 17, he said that behind the idols of the ancient world, behind the false gods of the ancient world, there were demons impersonating those gods. The gods themselves didn't exist. They weren't real. They're pretend. But the demon who was impersonating that god was very real, and he excited the worship of people. If you think that's just an Old Testament idea, understand Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. He says, the things the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. So the wide gate is made up of false religions of every kind. And those false religions are energized by the work of Satan. And behind each of those false gods, there is a demon impersonating that God who excites people's worship and distracts them from the worship of the true God. From moralism to pagan idolatry, from the millions of gods of Hinduism to the environmentalist worship of Mother Earth, apart from the worship of the true God revealed in Scripture, listen carefully, there is no religion that is not energized by Satan and that is not part of the wide gate that leads to destruction. The fourth part of the wide gate is the corruption of the true gospel and the distortion of the true Christ. You see, the wide gate isn't just about paganism and blatant idolatry. When people distort and pervert the worship of the true God through his son, they are also entering the wide gate. This was true of Old Testament Judaism. Remember, the the Old Testament believers were worshiping the true God with the revelation that they had. They understood the right way to know him. But there were those who embraced Judaism who distorted it enough, who twisted it enough, so that instead of becoming the entrance to the narrow gate, it became the entrance to to the wide gate. In Matthew chapter 23, this is exactly what Jesus says about the Pharisees. They were... Worshippers of Judaism, but a corrupted form of Judaism that was distorted enough that it made it something entirely different. In Matthew 23, verse 13, Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, Woe to you, hypocrites! You shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you don't enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, verse 15, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. In other words, you work really hard to get one person to believe what you believe. And when you do, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. You see, they were claiming the true worship of the true God, but they had twisted and distorted enough that it became something else. Instead of the entrance to the narrow gate, it became the entrance to the wide gate, and to destruction. 
The same thing happens when it comes to the worship of Jesus Christ and the true gospel. There are those who claim to be Christians, but who take it and warp it and twist it just enough so that it becomes damning error. And yet they still claim to be Christians. In fact, you can see that here in Matthew 7. Notice verse 15. Lord willing, we'll look at this in a couple of weeks. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus said, listen, there are going to be people coming claiming to speak for me, but they're not the real deal. They twist and they distort the truth about me and about my message so that it becomes something that isn't health-producing, but it's soul-destroying. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul warns about this. He says, listen to the Galatians. He said, I'm amazed that you're turning to a different gospel, which really isn't a different gospel. It's simply the real gospel that has been distorted and twisted to such an extent, he says, that it's no longer the true gospel. He says, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. He is to be anathema. Pronounce a curse of damnation on him. And so understand Any gospel other than justification by faith alone, based on the work of Christ alone, is a false gospel, and it is merely another entry point at the wide gate. So understand then that the wide gate is not only forged a false religion, it also is forged by those who call themselves Christians, but who worship a false Christ or embrace a false gospel. For example, in our day, This would be the false gospel of Roman Catholicism that says your works contribute to your salvation before God. It would be that of the distorted view of Christ that comes out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. It would be the Mormons who who worship a different Jesus and teach a different gospel. It would be much of Seventh-day Adventism. It would be most of the Church of Christ that believes that we are saved by baptism, just as the Judaizers of the first century believed they were saved by circumcision. All of those are entry points, not into Jesus' spiritual kingdom, but they're part of the wide gate that leads to destruction. Tragically, there's one other entry point at the wide gate, and it's a surprising one. It's a false profession of the true Christ and the true gospel. You see, there are some people who are on the wide, who have chosen, I should say, the wide gate, who know they've chosen the wide gate, and they know they're not on the way to heaven. But sadly, many, perhaps most people on the broad road think they have chosen the gate that leads to heaven. Of course, many of them would be enslaved in false religion. But here's the tragic part. Some of those who are on the broad way understand the true biblical Jesus, and they understand the true biblical gospel, and they profess to be his followers. And yet they're still on the broad way headed to destruction. Jesus describes them here in Matthew 7, and we'll study it again in just a few weeks. Matthew 7, verse 21. He fast forwards to the day of judgment, and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that's the one who will enter. Many will say to me on that day, that is the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. And here's the key. Depart from me, you who practice 
lawlessness. Tragic that there are people on the broad road who know who the true biblical Jesus is, who understand the true biblical gospel, but who have made a false profession. They claim Jesus as Lord, but as we will discover, they don't obey him as Lord. They live their lives as though he were not. And Jesus will say to them at the day of judgment, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. So Jesus describes the gate that leads to eternal destruction as wide because there are so many points in which you can enter it. But let's move on briefly and consider the narrow gate. The narrow gate. Notice verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. Verse 14, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. Now, Notice in the two words in verse 13 and 14, the words small and narrow, both of those are the same Greek word. The translators have just chosen to vary it, and we'll talk about that next week as to why they did that. But it's the same Greek word. It's narrow in both cases. The word is used to describe the door of a prison cell that was very narrow. It's used to describe the narrow entrance to a grave that was cut through the rock. In one case, in secular Greek, it describes a passage that was so narrow that it was difficult even for a relatively small man to pass through it without some degree of difficulty and distress. Jesus uses the word here to refer to the gate that leads to eternal life. In other words, listen carefully, the narrow gate is the entry point to Jesus' spiritual kingdom, or in other words, to salvation. Let me show you this. Turn to Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, in the context of the story of the rich young ruler, this idea of entering in, and several different expressions are used synonymously in a short section of Scripture. Let me show them to you. I don't have time to walk through the whole passage. Let me just point these out to you. First of all, in verse 17, Jesus talks about entering into life. Note that one. And then in verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, here's another one, to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and they said, Then who can be saved? Or we could say, who can enter into salvation? Now, Jesus is using all of those expressions synonymously. To enter into life is to enter into the kingdom of heaven, is to enter into the kingdom of God, is to enter into salvation. They all describe the same reality. So the narrow gate then is how one enters into those things. It's how one enters Jesus' spiritual kingdom, how one is truly saved from the penalty of sin, and how one enters into spiritual life. It marks the entry point. So why does Jesus describe the entry point to true salvation and to his spiritual kingdom as narrow? I think there are three reasons. First of all, because the entrance is hard to find. The entrance is hard to find. Go back to chapter 7 and notice verse 14. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. There's only one very small entrance Only one way to get in. It's exclusive, and it's very small. In fact, as Jesus described this narrow gate, 
uh, one expert on first century says it's very likely that the, the thing in most people's minds, because they lived in wall cities, would have been most wall cities, in addition to those mammoth gates that you see in movies and things, would have also had a small door-like entrance somewhere hidden in the wall that only the citizens knew about. And at night, when those massive gates were closed, you could enter in through that door that only a few people knew about and was hidden in the surface of the wall. It also, of course, was carefully guarded, but it was there for the citizens. It's easy to overlook even if you're looking. And frankly, most people pass by this narrow gate because they aren't looking. You see, in a world filled with philosophy and religion, this small, narrow gate is very hard to find. Satan is very clever, and he has hidden this gate in full view by surrounding it with clutter, surrounding it with noise so you can't hear the simple, straightforward message of the narrow gate. It's hard to find. Secondly, he says that it's narrow because it's hard to fit through. It's hard to fit through, narrow, confining. There are several implications of this. One of them is that only one person can enter at a time. Martin Lloyd-Jones compared this gate to a turnstile. Only one person can fit through at a time. In other words, you don't get to go through the gate with somebody else. You don't get to walk through the narrow gate into life with your parents or with your spouse. You have to enter the gate alone. There's no baggage allowed. To enter the narrow gate, you have to let go of everything else. You can't get through the turnstile with your baggage. In other words, you got to leave all of your own efforts, your own merits, your works, your self-righteousness out there. To get in the gate, you've got to renounce everything you are and everything you've done. As Alexander McLaren, the great preacher, said, that on each side of the narrow gate, there were two signs, the two beatitudes that come first. You must come in as a beggar in spirit, mourning over your own sin. Ken Hughes puts it this way, we must come to God holding nothing in our hands except our inadequacy and our consciousness of sin. You gotta let the baggage go. But I think there's more than that implied here. I think it also makes it clear that you have to trust the right person. It is a very narrow place to fit through. And there's only one person through whom you can come. John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Listen, there aren't countless gurus that get you to God. There's only one. There's only one way, one door. Acts 4, verse 12, in Peter's famous sermon there, he's talking about the lame man who's been healed. And he's talking about Jesus. And he says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It's very narrow. In fact, it's one person wide. You have to come in through Jesus Christ. You also have to come believing the right gospel. The one Jesus preached, he began his ministry, uh, at least as it's recorded in Mark chapter 1, by preaching, you must repent and believe the gospel. What is the gospel Jesus preached and the apostles preached 
as he taught them. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains that gospel message. Listen to it. He says, here's the gospel I preached. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then that he appeared to many. Listen, you have to believe that Jesus, God's son, entered the world and lived a perfect life and then died for sins. That is to pay the penalty before God for sins that had been committed. And you must put your faith in him. You must repent of your sins as Jesus preached and you must believe in him and him alone. You must believe the right gospel. So Jesus calls the entrance narrow because it's hard to find And it's hard to fit through, very confining. But there's another reason I think he calls it narrow, and that is the entrance is hard to accept. It's hard to accept because its demands, the demands of the gospel, clash with all of our natural tendencies, with our pride, with our love of sin. So Jesus comes along and he says this in Matthew 16. Listen carefully. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. You have to renounce yourself to get in this gate and let him take up his cross and follow me. Or here's another one, Luke 14, verse 25, large crowds were going along with him and he turned and said to the large crowds, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In other words, you got to love Jesus so much that your love for the people in your life looks like hatred. you got to be willing to let go of your own life, for he who wants to save his life will lose it but he who's willing to lose it for my sake in the gospel, Jesus says, will save it. This is hard to accept. This is a door that's hard to bring yourself to enter because his demands are really high. It's narrow. So how should you respond to the reality of these two gates through which all of humanity passes? Well, Jesus tells you how you ought to respond. Look at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. Jesus is warning us. He's admonishing us. He's pleading with us. Choose the narrow gate. You see, here's the picture. In the mind of Jesus, every one of us was already on the broad way. We'd already passed through the wide gate, and we are on our way to destruction. And from his safe vantage point, he says, choose the narrow gate. Off of that broad way, there's a narrow gate. And you can choose to to go through that gate. And that gate will lead you to a difficult path, but a path that will bring you into eternal life. Jesus says, you've already walked through the wide gate. You're already on the broad road. You must choose to enter the narrow gate. Jesus, listen carefully, Jesus is extending an invitation to you. This is a genuine offer of the gospel to you. He's saying, listen, You don't have to stay on the broad road that's leading to destruction. You can choose to enter the narrow gate. I'm inviting you to come. In fact, he's commanding you to come. Enter. And if you continue on your current path and you end up in destruction, in hell forever, it will be over the admonitions and the warnings and the pleadings of Jesus Christ. 
You can't go through the narrow gate accidentally. You must make an intentional, thoughtful, purposeful decision that you're going to humble yourself and let everything else go. And you're going to come in his way into his kingdom in which he is king and he rules and you don't. But if you're willing to do that, you're on the road to eternal life. There are only two gates and Christ sets before you the choice of the narrow gate. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his current series, Two Gates, One Decision. Tom will have part three for you on our next broadcast. Do join us then. Well, we'd like you to know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, a book of pastoral prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleashed.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.